As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, Adult film stars, sportsman drag racers, the strip teaser, and the Saturday Night Hooker. Big Jed, how are you? Hello. Luke, I'm well. Is this show about racing? Or I Sometimes. It sounded like it was about something else. No, I am well. Uh, really well. I hope the same for you. Um, just uh, been working on the hot rods, getting ready for a couple of big weekends of racing around here. Uh, with the dream team on the on the mm. schedule next weekend i'm sure we'll talk plenty about that but um other other than that it's just normal life how about you bud yeah same uh, just uh preparing for junior dragster season we got midwest junior series gets started around here in two weeks the weekend you'll be at the dream team i'll be in lions indiana so uh, that's that's the biggest thing on our radar right now okay well that sounds really cool wish you guys well i'm gonna have uh the Nova, I'm going to have the Malibu, I'm going to have JJ's truck, and I'm going to have a junior uh, the next two weekends racing. So I'm going to have my hands full watching JJ and Cade race the junior, and I'll have the Malibu and Nova running a couple of classes. So getting uh, getting pretty jacked up about the next couple of weekends, but I'll either be worn out, broke, or all of that, and maybe <laughs> done for the year. So let's have to see how that goes. <laughs> uh, uh, we've got a, we've got a, I think, what will be a very fun show on tap. Um, as most of you know, we're coming off of Mother's Day weekend, which rightfully provides a lull in the racing calendar each year. So not much on track to talk about. Uh, so it gives us the creative freedom, if you will, to, to have a little bit of fun. That's what we're going to do today. 
Yeah, it is going to be a really fun show. We're going to have a lot of track talk today about places we've been and a lot of different topics about those racing facilities. But Luke, first things first, um, I failed last week to uh, get some results in on the show. Really don't have a good reason why, you know. We failed, Jed. I'm not going to let you fall on the sword. Well, we we can say we failed, but I should have. I was pretty close to this one. I should have. Uh, I should have done a better job. But nonetheless, um, you know, we here on the show, you and producer Mark and myself, know that I don't prepare very well for the show. I, I just kind of come in and wing it a lot. Um, this week I am prepared, but last week obviously I wasn't. But we missed a working man's ten grand. Jake Hodge and uh, Final Call Promotions put that on uh, last weekend at Kill Care. And had a really rough looking forecast and Jake stayed with it and, uh, and put the race on to completion. So kudos to him and the staff there at Kill Care. I think they did get a little rain and had to work through it and do their thing. But it uh, looks like they did it for everybody in attendance and looked like around a couple of hundred entries, which pretty good crowd. And it went really well. But just want to touch on the winners, mainly on Saturday, um, uh, Taylor Bowling really just kind of wrecked the place uh taylor come through the no box side got by little phil combs little phil billy making the final there in no box taylor wins the no box side he advances into the super pro side where he went ahead and finished the deal and got the win over uh, joe hoskins so taylor really with a strong performance there on saturday basically sweeping the place on saturday which was super strong then he comes back on Sunday and makes it to the no box final against Rich Comer and uh, Rich got the win over Taylor. So Taylor come up a little short there in the no box side, but made it to the final round of that on Sunday. Rich takes his no box win, advances to the super pro side and gets a runner up finish in the main event against uh, Cameron Atkins. So really strong performances there from the bottom ball guys, specifically Taylor Bowling and Rich Comer and um, you know again another good event uh, where didn't have the best looking opportunity to get the racing in but Jake Final Call Promotions and the staff there at Kill Care did everything they could and got it all done so kudos again to all of those folks involved and uh, congratulations to those winners. Got a, a related fun fact maybe even a little bit of trivia time for you Big Jed. Oh I love trivia. With his main event victory from the no-box side, Taylor Bowling becomes just the second racer ever to go through the no-box side and then go on through the boxcars to win the main event at a final call promotions event. Who was the first? Oh, goodness. Final call promotions, no-box guy. I don't know. Would that be like Slick Rick, maybe? It's a solid guess, but you actually mentioned his name earlier. It was Rich Comer. Oh, Rich. Okay. That's so, right. So Rich all basically just repeating nearly what he's done prior. So good for Rich. How about that? Um, and I think it actually it brings to, to light uh, probably a conversation for another day, Big Jed. But I find it, I find it really interesting and, and on some level fascinating how it wasn't long ago that any racer, even it wasn't that long ago, even if that racer was named Kevin Pollard or Nick Hastings, it felt aberrational for a foot break or a no box racer to 
get through the Nobox side and then defeat however many, two, three, four, five boxcars to win the race. Like you just didn't see that. And when you did, it was a huge story. It's still a huge accomplishment, but it seems to happen every other weekend, whether it's Lucas Walker at the Spring Fling Million, whether it's Jonathan Moggins down in Texas, now Taylor Bowling in Ohio. I, I don't have any good explanation for this. You, I feel like the competition gets tighter. The packages get tougher. Like I feel like there's more parity. It's harder to, to, to win at a high level than ever. So you would think it would be more difficult to, to do it without the advantage, if you will, of a delay box. And yet more and more racers are proving me wrong. Yeah, it, it does appear to be somewhat commonplace now, Luke, where that was not really the case for many, many years, but that's a product of a couple of things. Um, one, they're getting opportunities to compete against their own category for a while in the race. And as you know, when you hit the bottom, man, when you start getting in your groove and you just really got it rolling, by the time you reach the, the super pro side, you're you're really on a roll and you got things going your way in most cases. And I think these racers are certainly benefiting from that. Secondly, I think quite a few more no box cars are showing up than ever has before, which is letting them advance to a point in the race where there aren't many super pro cars to compete against where they, they just really got to get by those couple of rounds and they give themselves opportunity for a bye to the final or the race in the final. So I think it's a product of those two things. And if it's a product of another third thing, it's that bottom ball bracers are pretty badass, bud. I don't know if you know that, but they're, uh, they're really good. And especially the, the kind of talent that you're talking about going on and winning these races, very talented bottom ball racers that ain't scared. So I think uh, those three things are the main reasons why. And, and, you know, there's probably a touch of luck here and there as well. Yeah. Good points. I think I can, I think I can wrap my mind around and, and for the most part, agree with all of those with the exception of the, you would know part. I, I would not know. I, I, <laughs> when, when I leave on the bottom of I'm like, okay, cool. It was green or, oh man, it was red. And then I'm just surprised every time I get the time slip, I know whether or not to celebrate my, my reaction time when they hand me the ticket. <laughs> I can relate. I really can. But uh, I, I think, uh, I think you're better than that. So uh, I think you're going to get to prove that soon. I hope anyway. All right. So the main topic, the main talking point for today's show really comes as an extension of what we've seen a lot on social media recently. And, and I think it's fun and it's, it, we thought it would be a great talking point. What I see floating around Facebook with, with some commonality recently is basically a, an exercise where we, uh, as racers, lift, list off the number of tracks that we have competed at. And then the, most of the racers are putting like a little asterisk beside the race, the racetracks, the facilities that they've won at. And it's a fun, if nothing else, like it's a, it's a fun talking point, something to go back and forth about. It's also a bit of a trip down memory lane. So we thought we would take that idea and maybe spray the nitrous to it just a little bit. We're going to go in a few different directions with our track talk. But first, Big Jed, with the, with fear of coming across like um, late teens, early 20s, maybe three weeks into a semi-serious relationship. I got to ask, what's your number, man? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's something I really don't like to talk about with people, especially in public, Luke. But uh, 
And, you know, my number, as I put it together, was a little embarrassing. Um, I've seen, I see your number on the show notes. I've seen a lot of the guys online that are posting, uh, you know, numbers in the 80s and 70s. And I'm like, man, these guys have been to a lot of racetracks. But thinking to myself, I've probably been to as many as a lot of guys. Then I put the list together and it's only 49. Um, I, uh, I haven't ventured out quite as much as a lot of people. Uh, especially people that have done this at a real high level for a long time and chased the money. But I felt like I'd got out a little bit, but 49 just seems like a, a pretty sorry number to me for a guy that's been racing since 1984. But as I've mentioned, there were quite a few years there where I, uh, I thought Laster Mountain was the only track that was open because okay. that's the only one I went to. So uh, it, was a, it was a disappointing number for me, 49. Really? About you? It's all a matter of perspective. Like I, I'm sure there are hundreds, perhaps thousands of racers listening to this going, wow, 49 is a huge number, right? So it, uh, yeah, it's definitely all a matter of perspective. But yeah, I would, I, sure I, would have, I would have assumed, and I think I'm a little bit jaded because in the time that we've known each other, like you kind of went everywhere that I went, right? So I would have assumed like your number was bigger, but to your point prior to those years, it was like a three to four track radius, right? Yeah, it definitely was. And, uh, and I'm a bit of a homer. I had, uh, out of my 49, uh, 14 of those tracks were inside the state lines of Alabama. So obviously I haven't gotten out a ton outside of my state, but, uh, you know, I took your list, I took my list and I took your list. I'm like, I'm gonna look down Luke's list and see if there's anybody I missed any track that I missed in Winston County was a track that I had missed in my own state, literally an hour and 15 minutes from here. So forgot about that jewel. Um, so that put me thing. at 49. My, my number was actually too short of what it is now. And I still think it might be a work in progress. There's probably a track or two that I've forgotten about along the way, but uh, actually spent the weekend. We went and raced with funny car, Chris at, uh, at Gleason, Tennessee, which wasn't a new track for me. I'd been there once before, but as we were leaving, funny car trip, Chris, bad influence, by the way, this is Saturday <laughs> evening, Saturday, Saturday late afternoon, let's say, but, but the day prior to Mother's Day. And not only does he inform me of this, but also my nine-year-old that is um, on the scooter with me as we're wishing him, you know, good day, we're, we're leaving. He says, hey, if you want to keep racing, Jackson, Tennessee is only like 40 miles down the road and they start in half an hour. And I said, look, and that's the wrong direction, right? And tomorrow's Mother's Day, like we're going home, but it made me realize, oh, I've been to Jackson, Tennessee. And I, I didn't have that on my list. And then you had a note about Moulton, Alabama. I, I, not only have I been to Moulton, I am undefeated at Moulton. I won the oh, only wow. time I went to Moulton. So, oh, well. Yeah. So it just, it, it bolstered my, my list by two as well. Well, when I looked at your number, you know, I had a difficult time coming up with all of mine at 49. And when I looked at your number, well, first I thought, well, okay, I probably have missed a track or two. And then I look at your number. There's no doubt in my mind you've missed a track or a handful uh, at that kind of number. I just don't see how you remember all of those. Pretty confident that there's still one or two missing. So in reference to, to, to your number and to our conversation, I do feel like a bit of a racetrack slut. <laughs> my number is 104 
best I can tell. It's at minimum 104. And to your point, like it, it may be, there may be a few more that I've forgotten about. Um, but I do think kind of similar to your explanation as to why you thought your number might be bigger. I think the one of the main reasons that my number is what it is, is A, since I was old enough to, to race uh, and compete, I've lived in three very distinct geographic areas, like very different from one another that didn't have a ton of overlap or very much overlap at all in where I would race. And each of those areas within, I don't know, like a four, five hour radius of where I lived or contain a ton of racetracks. And I made it to most all of them. Right. So I think that in addition to, you know, my travels and essentially racing for a living for a decade or so, uh, I think that played as big a role in it as anything. So yeah, 104 seems like a big number. Yeah, yeah, and it is a big number. <laughs> it doesn't seem like one. It is one. So, but well, yeah, but I, mean, I, I get like how you. Three hundred ish racetracks, you know, currently in operation. I think within the United States or within North America, let's say. So as big as my number seems, I've been to a third of them. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, but really, I mean, that's a lot when you when you think about how those are divided up you know east of the mississippi versus west of the mississippi I, I just you know i don't think it's i don't think it's anywhere close to normal for somebody to have the the schedule availability to travel like you have sure. um and, and, you know just to think that you're going to go to all of these you know you had you had scribner nebraska <laughs> uh, <laughs> listed i mean who the heck decides to go to Scribner, Nebraska? To Me race? and my dad. Me and my dad when I was probably 17. They actually they actually had it was I went for a, a division five, like what at the time it was called what the Federal Mogul series, what's now the, the Lucas Oil series. And I remember the the one thing that sticks out from the trip is that I qualified for their super shootout. But at the time, their super shootout, it wasn't like a super comp. I was running super comp. It wasn't a super comp shootout and a super gas shootout and a super street shootout. It was like the 16 closest to 90 from all three classes. And then we just ran together on a handicapped pro tree with a blinder. And as the super comp entry being the fastest that you could dial, hardest thing I've ever done. Hardest thing I've ever done on a racetrack. It wasn't as bad when you ran a super street car because they could leave and you could kind of regroup. But running a super gas car, one second spot, like I had to be on the chip when their tree dropped and you couldn't see their tree drop. They'd just leave and then try to focus on my tree a uh, second later. Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> that sounds very challenging. Luke, I, I feel like I've discovered something that you omitted off of your list that would at least take you to 105. Okay, what you got? Brainerd, Minnesota. I don't, I don't hear it on my list. I don't see it. Am I missing it? I know I, that there, there's two Brainerds, right? And I've been to both of them. I've well, you had Chattanooga. Them. Chattanooga. Don't I have Brainerd? Okay. I'll have to re-examine my list. You might have got me to 105. I don't know why I thought of that, but I, I just when I when you've been to Scribner, Nebraska, I just thought you well, thought you, of remote location. You've raced, you've raced in Minnesota. You've raced in Nebraska, and then I look on here and I don't see the the Brainerd, Minnesota. It's very possible that I'm. I don't see the zoo here. I feel like I feel like an even bigger racetrack slut. Okay, let's have a little bit of fun with this. Um, we've got it. We we broke this into a handful of categories that'll just kind of be a jumping off point for us. So, 
we're aware of our initial number, you know, as, as close as we can get to it. How about the most obscure location of a racetrack that you have been to? Okay, so I'm not really sure what obscure means. I meant to look it up. I mean, I, I've heard it used in a sentence a lot, but I don't know the exact definition of obscure. Remote, odd, uh, and maybe either from where you lived or just, you know, where the racetrack itself is located in reference to, you know, a major highway, something along those lines. Yeah, so that's what I took it as. And uh, Quaker City, Ohio, uh, that was one that, uh, that I... I struck out with Adam Davis one year and went there and my gosh, we drove forever for two days. It felt like, but it was about 11 hours, which, you know, for old foot brake racer, that's a, that's a haul, brother. That's a real haul. So that was kind of different. And it was, um, it was way up there near the Pennsylvania line. It was obviously Quaker country. Uh, so it looks a little different, you know, it, it, it kind of looks like the, stuff you see on an oatmeal box for you know for good reason so um it was it was a little different looking place um kind of weird uh when you get there too i mean they were racing snowmobiles uh, in the race that i was at so uh you know that's i think i've said it on the show here before but adam <laughs> we, we're sitting in the staging lanes and one comes rolling up he said they let sea dudes race here they <laughs> look like a damn sea dude uh, we, we we never seen nothing rides on snow, so that was kind of weird. Um, US 43, Luke, that is in... That's a good one, yeah. Much like uh, Quaker City and, and what surrounds that area. I mean, US 43 is Amish country. Uh, as you're riding to the, to the facility, it's not uncommon at all to yield to a horse and buggy. Or they, the Walmart, the local Walmart's got a horse trough where they... they park them to you know drink water while they're in there grabbing their supplies and whatnot so that's a little bit of a different place right across the street from a, from amish farm and then this one's not really obscure by definition but it seemed like it took me forever to get there and when i had got off the interstate i still felt like i had about an hour ride and, or longer and that was when i went to rockingham the only time i've been there it just seemed way out of the way maybe i went the wrong way or something i don't know but Rockingham for me was was one that kind of fit it just a little bit. I would say I feel like I have gone the wrong way to Rockingham and I've gone about 10 different ways. There's no good way to get to Rockingham. You're, no right way. You're 100% right on that one. That's, <laughs> those are good. So I, I, similar to what you did, I took mine in, in, a, in a couple of directions. I've never been to Quaker City, so that, that, that one lines up well. Rockingham and US 43 definitely um, meet the criteria. For me... Similar to what you'd said about going to Quaker, just from a geographic standpoint, the year that I decided it would be a good idea to leave Dallas and drive to Salt Lake City to make their double divisional event, I felt like I drove for a week. And I thought I was already on that side of the country, quote unquote, like leaving Dallas. Like it can't be that much further to Utah. You, you can't get there from there. Like I drove through Wyoming. Oh my gosh. They go to a race, right? Yeah. So <laughs> through it. <laughs> I, I've been off in some some desolate areas, you know, and in, in, in my travels. And I've gone over what I thought were some mountains. I've never driven through the Rockies. I've never raced at Denver, right? So strike that. Anywhere else, like I've been off some cliffs, I feel like. The mountain that you drop off of to come into Salt Lake City is unlike anything I've ever seen. After 
seemingly a week of driving to nowhere like it just opens and not only do you go straight down now it'd be one thing if you went straight down you're going directly down with like 90 degree bends the damnedest thing i ever seen um so so i've I've driven out west some and i've driven off some pretty good size mountains um do they is this mountain in question does it have the the sand traps on the side for when the the tractor trailers lose their brakes or whatever or just places for them to stop and rest because they push their brakes so hard for so long yeah the runoff areas yeah 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 okay just just plenty of those that's where that's where i don't need to be (laughs) i wouldn't recommend it um location obscurity great bend kansas just because it's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I don't know if there, there might be a better way to get there. Uh, the one time I've been, I got off Interstate 35, and I believe then you drive for a good two hours down a two-lane highway of nothing in, you know, plains of Kansas. And I do remember what sticks out to me for that trip is not from that trip is actually not going to Grand Bend, to Great Bend. It was thinking, God, I'm never going to get to Great Bend. And then seeing a sign that said Denver, like 500 miles. I thought, who in the hell is going to, like, that's Division 5, right? Like, people legitimately drive across Kansas to Great Bend and then whatever it is, 500 more miles to Denver. And that's like an every year thing. I'm out. Um, And then Scribner, Nebraska. Not because why else would you? be in the middle of Nebraska, right? Other than to attend a, a race at a facility that is, is no more. But getting from the road that is the address of that facility to that facility was an absolute adventure. When I say that the racetrack was in the middle of a cornfield, that is not an exaggeration. You turn off of the highway, and if memory serves, drive like three or four miles down a gravel road with corn when at least when i went through over the roof of the truck on both sides like you're driving through a corn tunnel and all of a sudden this racetrack emerges i believe it used to be an air force base that they submerged in the middle of a cornfield to make it less identifiable from the air yeah there or maybe maybe i guess it'd still be identifiable from the air harder to find i don't know what the reasoning was but that's the story that i was told but absolute middle of a cornfield yeah, that, I mean, Scribner, Nebraska, I would think that's all that's there. So I would think that has there. to be in the middle of a cornfield. But uh, I remember uh, back in the day, they used to have ITRA national event there. And I think it was Kepner. Like, who else, right? Do, do the ESPN broadcast uh, at the ITRA national events. And I want to say he was interviewing Garlitz, but Garlitz was trying to explain that it was so fast at Scribner because of all of the oxygen produced by the corn oh man (laughs) i did not know that racing that close to corn produced big ets big horsepower so your obscure list is very interesting mine's kind of you know whatever but uh, you you've definitely been to some odd places Uh, but you know a guy's been 105 plus racetracks i'm sure there are some odd places that that you have to visit to get a list that large good stuff so go ahead yeah so the next category um and you know you it sound like your obscure list could also just be transferred 
to the hardest to get to because it sounds like all of those are rather difficult to get to but you you got this category hardest to get to and uh and there's some places i've been there so that's interesting but let's hear who you uh, who you picked for that that part of your list okay so the way i broke these up were like obscure location in general but neither of those none of the tracks that i mentioned were particularly hard to get to like you know where you go and you take the exit and boom eventually there's the racetrack right the hardest to get to are like you take the exit and you know there's a racetrack out here somewhere but like you can't get there from here and the prime example i think tennessee takes the cake here because there's several but the prime example to me is is music city Raceway, which is one of my favorites i enjoy racing down there I have been now from where I live, I have a way to get to the hill. And, and you, to be completely transparent, if you are taking a motorhome and trailer to the hill, you need to have a plan because the hill is not just a clever nickname. It is on top of the hill. And so now I've got a distinct path to, to get to the hill, especially coming from Alabama, Jed. I'm telling you, I went to that racetrack 20 times before I went the same route. And there ain't a good way to get there. Like the, I have followed Jason Lynch to the hill and I had a, a 48 foot living quarters trailer. And I swear I saw the tail lights in the rear view mirror multiple times. Like it is just winding <laughs> two lane roads up a hill, down a hill under bridges that you shouldn't clear. Like it's, it's a task if you don't know exactly where you're going. And very similarly, one of the neighboring tracks over on the other side of Nashville Buffalo Valley, which is a little eighth mile track, another one of my favorite facilities, you can't get there. Like, I don't believe I could get to the facility with my motorhome and trailer. And it was sketchy. Like, I went numerous times with a dually and an open trailer and thought, oh, I might be too big to go down this road. Yes, it's just a right? I agree. That one would have made my list, but it was on yours. Okay. So I stole it from you. Um, <laughs> Edgewater up in Ohio, not particularly difficult to get to, but there's a, there's a story that goes along with this. So the year is 2006, I believe I had my, I got my very first American race cars dragster, went to Toledo to Mark Horton shot, put that car together, fired it up, had it done, ready to go home. Home at that time was Alabama. And I thought, man, it was Friday afternoon. I thought, man, it'd be cool if I could find somewhere to race this thing. I really want to see what it does. And uh, get to, you know, calling around at that time, because I don't believe we had like internet phone service at that time. And uh, found Edgewater is racing test and tune Friday night. And this was against all better judgment because it was cold. It was like October in Ohio. And it was a Friday night test and tune with a bunch of street cars. But by God, I'm going to take this new dragster down the racetrack. I'm going to Edgewater. Never been there in my life. So I figure out what exit it is and I take the exit. And again, this is before phone navigation. I'm in a uh, motorhome and trailer. And I'm coming up on the racetrack and there is a sign on the road that says Edgewater Motorsports Park. Next left. Sweet. Well, it didn't mean the next left. It meant the left after that. Oh, the next, next. The next, next <laughs> left. So I make the next left, which oh, is into no. an industrial park. And it is hmm, six o'clock on a Friday evening. And I'm thinking, well, this is the road, right? And so it's an industrial park and in every, so you've got the, the main two lane road. 
And then every drive off of it is gated because all of the industrial park complexes are now closed at six o'clock on a Friday. And this road kind of winds back in around a hill. And I thought, well, the racetrack's at the end of it. So I drive on down there. Well, there ain't nothing at the end of that road. And there ain't nowhere to turn around because every drive is blocked. And I'm about a mile down this curvy road. And I backed that motorhome and trailer up a mile. <laughs> Back to the main road where it, it's, it's probably still there. I hadn't been to Edgewater in probably a decade, but there was a gas station like pizza shop there on the corner. And as I back up, man comes out of there and he's like, hey, you going to the racetrack? Yeah, where is it? And he's like, oh man, he raced top sportsman, the guy that owned the gas station. He's like, well, it's up there, but I don't think they're racing tonight. And if you go up that road, you can't turn around either. So he actually gave me a ride up there to see that the gates were in fact open. There was about 20 streetcars in line and I wheeled in there and the story really got better from there. I did make my first run. I went ahead and did a burn lick, right? Because we're trying to warm up the racetrack. So the 50 spectators that were there ran to the fence to then see me after I did my John Force burnout. I went to, I don't know, 200 feet in the burnout, which is as far as I made it under power. And then it rattled my teeth out once I got out of my tracks. Didn't learn a thing. In the process, managed to lock the motorhome keys in the trailer when I loaded up. Ended up having to take the trailer hinges off the door. The door oh. off the hinges to get the motorhome keys out. Left there going to Clay City to race the next day and knocked over a gas pump when I went to fill up. I had a great trip. <laughs> yeah, sound like sound like an awesome time. Like so, Edgewater overall easy to get to, difficult for me on that particular day. Uh, and the last one I've got for hardest to get to. This isn't relatively hard hard to get to, but when you get there, you think you messed up. And that is Coles County Dragway, which is not far from me. It's like uh, three hours north in Central Illinois. But when you come in, you know, you make the turn Coles County Dragway, and you go down this road. And the road leads to kind of a wooded area that unless you know that there is a racetrack on the other side of it, you wouldn't just assume that there is a racetrack on the other side of the wooded area. And in the middle of the wooded area is a ravine, a creek, if you will. And the, the road over the creek is a wooden bridge that will support anything you put on it, come to find out. But boy, it don't look like that when you ride up on a big <laughs> Looks a little sketchy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I've crossed a wooden bridge that didn't look sketchy. Fair, fair. Especially if you're rolling in, you know, 40,000 pounds worth of something. But yeah, I, especially. to this point, said wooden bridge has not failed. I think it'll hold you. <laughs> Great list. Good stuff. I love the stories, too. It's even better. It makes me feel like I was there on the ride with you. Uh, as I said, Buffalo Valley would have made my list, too, but made yours so I uh, I threw a few together that, that I just remembered was just seemed challenging to get to. One was Prescott in Arkansas. Um, <laughs> you know, that one. Not to be confused with Prescott. Yeah, not to be confused with Prescott, which is exactly how it reads, but it's Prescott. Don't say Prescott. So Prescott was a tough one for me. You're, you're in Arkansas. You you drive through a couple of major cities if you're coming from where I come from, Memphis and and Little Rock, and then you get out there in Arkansas, that part where there's just really nothing there, and you're just like, there's no way there's a drag strip out here, especially one that's, you know, paying a decent purse for us to travel all the way out here, and then there it is. 
a little bit different. The layout of that one's a little little different too, but that one was tough to get to. Um, I only went there once, so maybe it was tough because I'd never been there. And, uh, you know, it's one of those, if you've never been there, you're just really not sure exactly how far you got, even though it says, you know, you, you got 23 minutes. It's just like the longest freaking 23 minutes of your life trying to find it. Lyons, Indiana, you, you talk about, uh, you know, going to make a trip there possibly uh, soon. And uh, yeah, what am I getting into? I've never been to Lyons. We're going next week for a junior race. Well, the Lions that I went to is a really nice, fun place to race, but um, it was really challenging to get to. And if you don't know where you're going, if you just trust the GPS, at least when I was going, I went there a couple of times, maybe seven, eight years ago to the No Box Nationals that uh, Alan Neff and Greg Dillman did. Um, it, won't, it won't get you there. It takes you like up into somebody's driveway or something like a gravel driveway. And it takes you down a gravel road. And I can't tell you the number of calls they got like, Hey man, I, it says I'm here, but I'm on some gravel road. And they're like, no, no, no. You got to come out. You got to go over the train tracks, turn right. And you're going to go past a school bus. It's just don't have any tires on it. And you got to turn right. And it's like, it's just weird. You know, there's chicken houses close by or what have you. And Lions is a, uh, is a, the, the racetrack itself is a fun little racetrack. It makes another list that I've got uh, later, but um, you, you'll like that place a lot if you if you make it over there. But just really difficult to get to, and and then Clay City, Kentucky. That one I hadn't been there in a long, long time, but I did go there a couple of times, and that one just I remember it being hard to get to. Just weird turn here, turn there, and well, you know just driving was- through Mount Sterling. Clay City was similar to I-57 in that it's not right off an interstate, but it's off of Mountain Parkway, which is a is a divided four-lane highway. But there wasn't an exit at the racetrack. So you could drive right by the racetrack and be 20 minutes away, right? Like you had to double back and curve around and go through this town and that town. I'm happy to report, Jed, that I don't know when they did this, but within the last decade, they added an exit right at the track now it's really easy to get to oh nice yeah the last time that i went i was thoroughly confused because i'm like man i got it i think i was supposed to exit back there and cut around down here and then i come up on the racetrack i was like oh it's right there well okay. good for clay city good for clay city they got, they got their own exit Moving they deserve the they deserved an exit and lions is a little it got a little easier to get to the last year that i went uh the interstate i believe 69 uh, went through that part of uh, Indiana and uh, maybe out of the Evansville uh, area and uh, on up through there, Hopkinsville, Kentucky, and Evansville, whatever. And I think it got a little easier to get to, but when you get off the interstate, it still was a, a bit of a challenge if you didn't know where you were going. But those are those were the ones that I just remember being a challenge. Yeah, and I don't. I think like you can exclude any track from this if you're going back the second time, with the exception of Music City. But you just you still can't get there. <laughs> most this might be a layup for you, Jed. But yes, what, what is the most picturesque racing facility you've you've competed at? Now, obviously, my list is only forty nine, so it, this one doesn't have quite the number of uh, tracks to compete against that you have or that a lot of people have. But it's easy. It's Bristol, no comparison. Vegas was beautiful, but Vegas isn't green enough for me. Vegas is, is the green there is fake green because you can't grow grass uh, in the desert. And, 
you know, the trees or, or trees that were put there and you're looking off into the mountains. It's a really beautiful scene and scenery, but the greenery of Bristol and just the beauty of those mountains and how this thing just sits down in the bottom of these two large hills. And I don't know, that place just does it for me. Obviously, I have a, a you know, a bias to Bristol putting on races there for, for now about to be 16 years and racing there for many years prior. It was just always my favorite place. So to me, it's uh, no comparison. Bristol's probably the right answer. It is, it is a majestic setting, particularly, I think, like looking down the racetrack, right? Yeah. Um, I, for whatever reason, I, it, that didn't come to the top of mind for me. And I think it's largely because I'm spoiled by it, you know, like have, have been there so much that it's kind of become commonplace and that, and maybe I take it for granted. The first things that the first two that came to mind for me, and maybe this is fresh off of being on the West coast trip, Pomona is really neat, not like in the, in the direct surroundings, because Pomona is literally in the middle of town, right? And, and I mean, there is a, there's a, a pretty busy main street that runs right beside the right lane. I mean, probably isn't 200 feet away, right? Um, but sitting in the bleachers facing the tower and seeing, you know, because you are in the, in the foothills of the mountains there in Southern California and seeing those mountains that at the winter now, or snow-capped like it is just a picturesque setting so that resonates for me I've always <clears throat> liked Vegas particularly the view as you roll into the water or into the stage beams with the basically you're surrounded 360 degrees by mountains or the the Vegas skyline like there's something to look at wherever you turn and to your point like there's not enough green for you but I feel like it's different enough from my typical surroundings that it just always captures my attention. So I, I like Vegas a lot, but if I had to choose one, I, I lean toward Maple Grove up in Reading, Pennsylvania. I've only been there once and I've talked to so many people that don't enjoy going to Reading. And granted, when I went, it was summertime. It was picturesque. It was a beautiful weather weekend. It seems like every time I read about a race at Reading, it's raining right? And, and everybody's stuck in the mud. And that's easy to get a bad taste in your mouth. But the beauty of the surroundings of that area, I just, like I said, I almost don't want to go back because I don't ever want to ruin it. But I just thought this is the coolest racetrack I've ever been to in terms of just the way that everything's set up. The surroundings is gorgeous up there. Yeah, I've heard really good things about the, the view and that part of the, the state of Pennsylvania that it's in. And, you know, it's a uh, you, you think Pennsylvania, you think Philadelphia, you think Pittsburgh, you think major city and industrial business and that type of stuff around it. But I think Maple Grove's in a, in a part that kind of looks like home for us. You know, it's a lot of nice trees and hills and grass. So I can definitely see that. I've never been there, but, but I, it'll, it'll make a list for me later in the show. Uh, definitely, definitely a place I'd like to visit. Nicest and or cleanest racing facility that you've competed at? Again, I hate to be redundant, but, you know, Bristol is super nice, super clean. That's a, there's a, there's a large staff of people that work there every day that, you know, keep the place up. They keep the grass cut. They keep the, the trash picked up. The, the trash cans are empty. The bathrooms are plentiful and clean. 
which is an important thing for me. So I just really love that facility, obviously. And I hate to put it on the list back to back, but it is the nicest and cleanest place that I've raced at. And then certainly Bowling Green. Um, Bowling Green is, uh, you know, as you, you talk about uh, beautiful setting and, and surrounding area, that one, the hills kind of roll as you're coming through, you're coming by that picket fence that goes for what seems like miles. And then you roll in, there's an amusement park there. Then there's this beautiful drag strip, you know, that has some nostalgia look to it, but you know, it's got the latest and greatest of everything it takes to run a race and, and maintain the facility. I don't know, that, that place does it for me. I, I'm really a big fan of that facility and how it looks. Um, it, it definitely would make the nicest, cleanest list for me. We didn't have this as a, as a, uh, as a, as a topic or a category, but you just brought up one that probably should be like, what track that you've been to just oozes history or nostalgia or just has the, the coolest atmosphere to it. Like for me, Bowling Green comes to mind uh, and, and Byron Dragway. Like I, I've only been there a handful of times, but I, and maybe it's because I, I romanticized so much, you know, the early days of big dollar bracket racing, whether it was the, the uh, Olympics of drag racing or the original firecracker nationals. I used to hear the stories of the, the Richardson's making the pilgrimage up there and then trying to beat the folk family, you know, that was calling Byron home and those stories. Like I, I, I feel like I'm a part of that when I roll into that place and it's just got that old school vibe to it. Yeah, for me. And it's simply because it was a destination facility as I was coming up in racing and a place that I, I couldn't wait to get to when I could haul my own car and all that. And, and there's been, you know, there, it started mega buck racing really in, in the area and then basically throughout the country. And that's Huntsville Dragway. When I roll in Huntsville, it, you know, aside from the trees that got taken down in the, in the tornado that hit there uh, in the nineties, uh, that place just looks the same as it's always looked. And, you know, it's, it's just really nice, clean, nostalgic place to race with the old bleachers and the old tower and all that stuff. I don't know. I, I just really like that place a lot in terms of, you know, what related to the, the subject that you just listed, you know, the, the nostalgic part of it. So for me, it's, that's Huntsville. Yeah, that's a good, Rockingham oozes history too, for as much as I dislike it about that place, it, it's kind of got that vibe and that atmosphere as well. Definitely does. You're right. Um, back to the, the nicest slash cleanest. I, I have two nominees there and it's been more than two decades since I have been to Eddieville, Iowa. I've only been once. But I distinctly remember driving into the pits and thinking, I made a wrong turn. I'm at a golf course. Mm. That's how pristine the grounds were kept. And my understanding is that that holds true to this day. Just take unbelievable care of that place. It's a smaller <clears throat> eighth mile facility, really homey feel, but man, just immaculate in the way that it's kept up. And then <clears throat> like nicest in terms of facility as a whole, Heartland Park Topeka has, has gone downhill a little bit in recent years, mainly just due to age, but <clears throat> I can't think of many places outside of Vegas, and I think my interpretation is that Charlotte is similar. I've not been to Charlotte yet. Um, Topeka, you could literally have 500 race cars and everyone would be parked on pavement. Um, 
there's roads everywhere to the facility. Like there is a, there is a building large enough that they do tech and winter circle pictures indoors. Like you can do them when it's raining. Like everything about nice. that facility is pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Sound like awesome places. I've never been to either of those, but you definitely make me want to go. And, and this is a tough transition from no, talking it's, about it's a natural all, transition. <laughs> talking about all of that beauty and niceness Luke, to the dirtiest. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean filthy, but I, I think I understand what you're saying here. The dirtiest facilities. Yeah. That For me, mentioned. dirty is dusty. Dirty is the place where you go to this facility and I don't care how many times you clean your race cars and clean out the inside of your trailer. You still know that you were at that facility a month later. Like you just can't get rid of the dirt. Mm, yeah. So <clears throat> I'll, I'll, I'll say this while horse pass motorsports park is, is going away. Right. So we want to do nothing but sing its praises. And it's actually very easy <clears throat> just coming off. Like I spent the better part of a month at that facility and had a great experience. <clears throat> It where for, for being in the middle of the desert, not a dusty, not a dirty place. That was not the impression that I had of, it was not even called Wild Horse Pass back then, like Phoenix International, whatever that place was called. That was not my impression of it the first time I went. And the reasoning was where I was parked. Like there was 95% great solid pit area. And there was 5% and that's where I was. So if you can picture this, Jed, <laughs> you, you go down the racetrack and at the end of the racetrack, you turn off to the left. The first time I went to the national event in Phoenix, I went down the racetrack, I turned off to the left and then I made another right and kept on going out into this. I won't even call it a bowl. Like it was just a dirt field. And I wasn't parked like by the road in the dirt field. I was, you go on off the road, through the dirt, through the sand, a good 300 feet football field to my trailer. So you, you rode in the dirt for a while. You couldn't start the car at the trailer and drive it to a paved road without it just being an inch thick in dust. Just God awful. I'm telling you, I cleaned everything for months. Never got the Phoenix out of it terrible and now when i went back i saw that area and there was nobody parked there like they, they had track equipment there there it was off limits as well it should have been 15 years ago um so that's a good one that i don't think applies but where i was parked was the dirtiest place in the world cordova illinois another track that i enjoy going to just a dust bowl and for as as nice an overall facility and as groundbreaking as the Texas Motorplex was 40 years ago, where we park at a national event, and honestly, where I was parked last time I went to a divisional there, you couldn't, you can't have a worse facility area. Like it's, it's gravel slash dust. And when there's hundreds of cars parked out there like it is just a cloud of dust for however many days you're there it is miserable so dallas makes the list i think in fairness um my my home track my favorite track i-57 they've done a lot with the place they've cleaned it up a lot but it is 
it is as much grass as they try to grow, like it is sand-based and it's still pretty dirty. It's not what it was 10 years ago, but it's not the cleanest place to race either. Yeah, the old I-57 prior to all of the the updates and investment that's been done there was uh, one of the dustiest places I've ever been, Luke. And uh, and then, you know, it, it for some reason... It's in Illinois, and it would be hotter than it was in Alabama when I would go, which was stupid. That's just, I don't understand that. So you get the heat and the dust. We got it covered up here, man. We get colder than you in the winter, and I think we get nearly as hot in the summer. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt you you have the the biggest weather swing of of any state I've been to. And, um, you know, you you couple the heat and the, the dust with the fact that the old I-57 only had a portalette for you to, you know, handle your business. And well, yes, pure misery. And, and, and limited bathroom capability makes for a bad day. Look, pure misery. Uh, I, I think can only explain it best. And then you get on the racetrack and it, it might've had a bump or two in it on top of that. So uh, the old I-57, while, one of the coolest places I've raced, the old I-57 was cool. It was a place that could create some misery in a hurry. And so, it rained uh, in the tower. <laughs> and it did rain in the tower, as I was <laughs> announcing, yes. We, and we had, a, we had a big plastic tote trying to catch it. So. <laughs> we had several plastic totes. <laughs> yeah. And, and then possibly the dustiest place on earth it's not in existence any longer uh, but i raced there in the late 80s and early 90s and that was green valley dragway in glencoe alabama close to gadsden and uh that was on the same grounds as the fastest short track dirt track in the state of alabama and this was this this track was where they came from all around and then they they talked, they raved about it, how it was so fast. So they would, regardless of what, they wouldn't race there the same night as you, as you drag race, which we drag race there on Sunday. So they had raced on Saturday night and then you come in Sunday and it's already dusty. And then, you know, the, the, the round track has just stirred up the tower. looks like it needs to be pressure washed every Sunday when you get there. I mean, this place just filthy and the racetrack had to be cleaned up and so on and so forth and and then you know you go through the day racing there and the dust is incredible staging lanes were uh asphalt but they wasn't there wasn't very much asphalt it wasn't very far back you know you could be sitting in the staging lanes and be kind of on a gravel dusty road on that it was just just a rough rough old place to race and you know back then I wasn't much for keeping a car spotless, but I didn't even bother washing my stuff to go to Green Valley. I mean, when I when I knew I was going there on Sunday, it's like, well, no point in washing anything. We'll we'll get to it later. Jen, I don't. I hate to to call any racetrack out, but what is the 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 worst, the roughest facility you've been to? And we could take this in a couple of different ways too. We we could also go like the the worst, or maybe better term would be oddest layout for a, for a racetrack that you've been to. Yeah. So worst layout or oddest layout, um, or condition of the facility, 
for me was a couple of different. So I've got one that was kind of an odd layout, and then I've got one that um, what is just one of the worst places I've raced. Your number one on your list is the absolute worst place that I've raced. The the roughest, raggliest little I drag strip. Well, no, you didn't steal it. It was it's it needed to make your list, and you put it together first. So, uh, but for me, Motor Mile in uh, Radford, Virginia, was an odd. It's an odd layout. The parking's kind of a little goofy there. Um, you can park kind of off of the racetrack up on this hill, or you can park over i mean there were there's a round track right by it there were people parking over basically at it and parking's just kind of spread out kind of goofy no rhyme or reason to some of it so that was an odd layout motor mile was uh, the way that the way the tower and all that sits off to the side kind of buried in a hill i don't know just a just a little bit of a different place really cool place really enjoyed my racing there but uh, and then the roughest little drag strip outside of what's going to be number one on your list for me was uh, Jake's Dragway in Moulton, Alabama. Um, pits, you know, I, I, so I think I've got a good parking place and I, I drive the trailer and truck down in here. Well, when I go to take the car out, I'm, I'm kind of off of the asphalt and asphalt's pretty good lip to get up on the asphalt. So you you kind of got to donkey stomp it a little bit just to get up on the on the road to drive to the staging lanes and you know it's stuff dragging under the car because of the difference in height between my pit area and the, you know it was just a rough little place then the racetrack itself um you know it it just felt like somebody had laid it over some old train track and said you know here's a, here's a good spot for us to put some asphalt down race on uh, just a just a rough little racetrack not a bad place not a terrible place just kind of rough condition did you ever race at north alabama i have not raced at north alabama i recently um was on a business and it took me through rural alabama where i needed to go from uh, basically red bay which you know where red bay is and who's in red bay it took me from red bay to tuscumbia and the route that I had to take, I'm just cruising along and I'm like, holy cow, it's a drag strip. And then I realized, well, this is North Alabama. I see the sign, it's North Alabama. So I got out, took pictures of it. It looked rough. Look, now the racing surface itself looked really rough, but that was a cool looking place. I mean, it really had all that field parking and all that stuff. It looked like a, looked like a fun little place to race. Same as you, I'd never got a chance to compete there. Drove past it multiple times because that was basically on my way to, to Memphis or, or Holly Springs for that matter, um, you know, from the, from the Huntsville area. Same deal, never stopped there, heard some stories. You, you previewed this. So I'll start with the, the, the worst facility I've been to. And I think we're in unanimous decision here. Um, it's a little track just over the Tennessee line uh, from Mississippi. So it's very Southern Southwest tip, I guess you'd say of, of Tennessee. And, uh, I believe the name of it is still Pickwick Dragway. I'm almost certain that it is still in operation. It is. Pickwick is a special place, Big Jed. Um, Pickwick, <laughs> not unlike multiple tracks in that area. I think we've talked about this before. Pickwick does not have a, enough shutdown area for a full eighth mile. The, the, the running joke for years has been that in Mississippi, when anybody refers to the long track, that's a full eighth because at least half the racetracks in Mississippi are not a full eighth mile, right? <laughs> <At least> so 
I think the last time that I raced at Pickwick, it was 550 ish feet. Um, I actually drove by there recently just to take a trip down memory lane. I was with Brian Robinson. We were in the area and they've made some improvements still. When we pulled in, I thought, my God, I can't believe I was at a race that had like 40 cars here. Where'd they put them? Like it is a tiny, tiny facility. Yes. And the first time that I raced at Pickwick, I took my Vega. It was 550 feet. I had, I think the second fastest car on the grounds. I thought it was really cool to drive home to on an open trailer. Cause I had a five second dial in cause it was only 550 feet. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and when I went through the finish line, I had gotten there just after dark, got there late. They gave me a time trial before things started. I went through the finish line and it was so rough that I remember slapping at my switch for the headlights three times before I got it because it was bouncing me all over the place. And I felt like headlights were a necessity because it was pitch black in the shutdown area. I thought, my God, do they not have any lights? And then as I came back up the, what they called the return road, more on that later, um, as I came back up the, the return road, I, I realized that there are lights. They were motion lights and they came on as I passed them. <laughs> a little light up the area behind me just fine <laughs> yeah. but i had no idea where i was going well neither a lot of the area behind you because you're about to talk about the return road and if there was somebody behind you they couldn't see for the dust no no so the the return quote-unquote road first off the shutdown area at least 200 feet in was mostly pea gravel it certainly sounded like it as to what was hitting the tubs and the return road now again they've made some updates i think it's paved at that time, it was not. It was gravel for a while, and then it was just a dirt road. And it's the only road through the pits that, that is the turnoff and then becomes yes. the staging lane. Yes. yes. So, yeah, special place, special place, Pickwick. It's also the, the track where I, I didn't get disqualified necessarily, but I did get, um, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Well, I don't know what words you're looking for. Slap on the wrist. Yeah, I was going to say the only reason you had the five dial in is because there was no sandbagging allowed. (laughs) Good point. Good point. So you might have been dialed six something if you could sandbag. I I think what actually started the controversy was that I was dialed seven something at one point. But yes, yes. But you you left out a very important thing that'll help our listeners understand the 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 place, the Pickwick Dragway. The ticket booth is an old uh, metal streamliner or, you know, bay liner or whatever tow behind camper that has the wheels taken off of it, wheels and tires removed, and it was just set down on the ground or, you know, on blocks or something. That was the ticket booth. That's right. That's right. And uh, that, that was pretty special in itself. So Pickwick, I think, takes the cake if we have to award. I've got several honorable mentions here. That The track that I actually, and I grew up at, at Texas Raceway in Kennedale, but as I, as I think I've told the story on the podcast before, there, there came a time in my life where I felt like I was ready to start racing big cars, and Kennedale had rules. And I may or may not have been old enough to race at Kennedale. Cedar Creek Dragway welcomed me with open arms. Cedar Creek Dragway... And it, in, I believe it's still in operation. It was maybe two years ago. Uh, David Bird Jones, who is, his, his family has always lived 
in that neighborhood, right? Cedar Creek was, was Jackie Jones home track back in the day. And David had shared a video in-car video of testing his outlaw car at Cedar Creek. And in the 20 plus years since I've been there, nothing had changed. Like it was a complete trip down memory lane. And 20 years ago, it was bad. It was rough. Um, now, kudos to them. Like they let me race. I may or may not have been 14. Loved it. <laughs> Loved every second of it. Not a, not a great A facility by any stretch of the imagination. So that ranks up there. There is a track in our area, Jed. It's only about an hour from where I live that uh, actually just got sold and will reopen here sometime fairly soon. It's now called Excella Quarter Dragway. Uh, it's in Harrisburg, Illinois. And probably close to 10 years ago, a gentleman bought that place, sunk a bunch of money into it and made it one of the nicer eighth mile tracks you could go to, like a small facility, but, but all the amenities, nice place. Um, prior to those improvements, Harrisburg was special. Okay. I made one trip there. They, they guaranteed a thousand dollars to win foot break on a Sunday. I thought this will be awesome. It's only an hour away. I got to go. I get there. I had just won the night before at I-57. And so the crowd there is most of the guys that I raced the night before. I noticed before I unload that there is no one there faster than me, which seems odd. And I'm just watching from the fence at all of these cars that went down I-57, no problem. Like they are blowing the tires off. Can't go down a racetrack. And uh, before I even made a run, I put every bit of weight that I had in, my, in the back of my Vega, made some runs. It, it kind of hooked like it was raceable, but not good. It had an old, I don't even remember the, the brand of timing system. Keep in mind, this is probably 10, 11 years ago. So it's been a while, but this is not like prehistoric, right? We're talking 2012, probably. They had incandescent bulbs, no crosstalk. The, there were wind lights. There was no scoreboard. There were wind lights, but they were right at the finish line facing the starting line. So you go through and have no idea who won. You could turn around if you could catch it, the side of the tree that one would blink in the shutdown area, they gave you a time slip that was every, it was like a, a landscape eight and a half by 11, right? I mean, so you've got a book in front of you and this time slip, Jed, it had every possible bit of information. It had, it had a, a spot for every possible bit of information you could have. I think it went all the way to quarter mile. It had every imaginable increment. It had all kinds of stuff on it. The only thing that worked that gave any kind of readout was the reaction time the et and i believe it was the left lane got a mile an hour that was it oh those big old time slips were tsi uh time i, I think you're right i think it must that, have been that was TSI. tsi i remember it well so yeah so that place was special and similarly another track that that they've put a lot into in recent years and i actually haven't gotten to race there since it's been redone but old bayleton as you well know big jet old bayleton was special yes it was the good time we had a good time at the good time uh some some key attributes to the good time at one point you can correct me if i've got this story incorrect big jed but at one point because bayleton's been around forever like it it's one of the oldest racing facilities in the country i believe but at one time you know bayleton was was built prior to concrete starting lines being a common thing 
which is, is not unique to Bayleton. Like there were a lot of tracks back in the day that had asphalt starting line. Well, the folks at Bayleton got smart about this. And they said, you know, this asphalt's not really holding up. So they actually put down steel plates. I don't know how thick that steel is, but steel plates, that was the starting line at one point. And by the time that I got to Bayleton, they'd moved the track up. So the steel plate, or as we like to refer to it, the skillet, I believe it was just in one lane too, Jed, I may be mistaken, but that was the water box. Yes. And you, you turn onto the racetrack back onto the skillet into the water box. And if you ever made the mistake of giving it a, you know, to, 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 to turn the tires over to get them wet, you might be there a minute. Cause they wouldn't, wouldn't quit. It wouldn't quit. You're hundred percent. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. So and the skillet was 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 special i remember the first time that i went to Bayleton. it was packed and it, and it still I, I believe draws a really good crowd great local following fun place to race but pulling to Bayleton, i had my old suburban i had my old uh, chevy two wagon on an open trailer and I, I i wheeled through the pits and same deal it's a small track one lane through it you know that the, the the turnoff becomes the staging lanes and you park off of both sides of that and the only spot I can see is into the, the racetrack close to the finish line. I wheel in there and, and I'm parked right beside Jackie Mead. Right? We, we, we know Jackie Mead well. I knew Jackie at the time. Well, as I pull up to park, I'm not parked against like a chain link fence that is 100 feet from the racetrack. I am bumpered up to what they called a guardrail that was about two feet tall just not even a, a, a K member, just a, a wall, metal wall. And I get out of my truck and as cars go speeding by me at hundred miles an hour, like five feet from me. And I look at this guardrail and, and I, I, I obviously Jackie Mead just sees the look on my face and tell, can tell that I am uncomfortable right now. And he says, ah, <laughs> oh, don't worry, kid. It holds them in pertinent every time. <laughs> Almost every time. Hurt near every time. Be just fine. <laughs> oh, that is a special. And like you said, it's still a special place, but it has got a lot of updates. It's a it's a much nicer place these days. But uh, I've been to Bayleton when there was a wreck and it took out one of the light poles, broke it in half. And, uh, you know, you've been there, so you know light is not, like there's not too much of it okay <laughs> it's just, definitely at a premium yeah. just enough and uh they needed it so they just took the tractor stood the light pole back up and just left the tractor strapped to it all night just just like a like a ratchet strap you know, <laughs> holding, holding the light pole back so it didn't fall out on the racetrack anymore so uh i'll transition into the the oddest most unique layouts i mentioned topeka earlier for one of the the most incredible facilities i've been to the layout at topeka i don't know that it's that odd it's just so big i mean where i told you they could park 500 cars on asphalt well the, the asphalt parking is not really close to the staging lanes and then staging lanes aren't particularly close to the racetrack it's built around a road course but i'm telling you to park in what is the, the normal parking, uh, you know, the asphalt parking, it might be a two mile round trip from your pit area to the staging lanes down the racetrack and back to your pit area. It's just a massive, massive facility that's, that's different. In Kansas, like if, 
if Tennessee has the has the lock on hardest tracks to get to, Kansas has the lock on odd layouts. It's just at Mid America Dragway in, in Arc City, Kansas. Really cool place. Loved it, right? But again, it's an old airport runway. And so the racetrack is one runway and the pits are another runway, but the two runways don't run parallel. Like if you are looking down the racetrack from behind the starting line, the pits are off to your left and run at about a 60 degree angle from the starting line in the opposite direction, which would be fine. Like it would make sense then if you went down the racetrack and then turned off to the left, like you could eventually get back there and that wouldn't be too crazy. But the problem is that the, the racetrack does not own the land between the racing surface and the pit area. So you turn off to the right, come all the way back down the racetrack, loop around behind the staging lanes, and then kind of make a, not quite a 180 degree turn, but about a 150 degree turn to go down the runway to your pits. Like it's just a very long and odd <laughs> commute, right? Yeah, it sounds like so it. So there's those two. And then I, I might, I, I was hesitant to even include this because the last time, the only time that I raced at Lancaster Dragway in Lancaster, New York, that was my father's stomping grounds, right? That's, that's where he grew up and that's where, where his racing career started. So we had gone back to visit family. I'm literally 25 years ago. I think I was 16. And uh, I taught my father into letting me race the rental car in their street class. So my memory might be hazy, but my memory of Lancaster is go down the racetrack, turn off the racetrack and drive through like the woods, like drive through a, a, a forest, heavily wooded forest through a couple of curves that then opens up into the ET shack in the pit area. So that was interesting. That's, what, that's the only one that, I can remember. That sounds very interesting. I think I've heard some other people, uh, some uh, Northeastern friends talk about that facility and, and maybe didn't describe it quite as well as that, but. Well, and I could be completely mistaken, but that's what my memory tells me. So. Yeah. I didn't remember the name of it, but I've, I've heard similar stuff from a facility up there. So I think you're, you're probably spot on with that one. We talked a few uh, episodes ago about what seems like an overwhelming number of facilities recently announcing that they are either closing the gates for good or will be closing the doors for good in, in short order. With that in mind, what's a track that you are glad that you got to race at before it became no more? You know, this is not a legendary facility by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it was just a, a place that was near and dear to me because I was, um, you know, a track manager there at, at the age of 19. Uh, about to be 20 years old when I started and, um, you know, was the announcer and I got to race there quite a bit over the years and had a lot of success, but Bama Dragway is just one for me that, that I, I miss and love. That was just a, a really fun place to go race. Another one of those odd layout facilities and just weird the way the return road kind of turned into a round track for a little bit of it. So, so you could get back to the pits, but uh, that was a place that just near and dear to me that I loved. I definitely um, enjoyed Atlanta. Um, it wasn't always the most fun place to race, but I enjoyed it. And, um, you know, now more recent Memphis is on that list. Um, I, I, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm not sad that 
that that place closed because I just I, I never really thoroughly enjoyed getting there, but I really liked the facility once I got there. So the rough ride to get to the place makes me made me not want to go very much. But uh, but I enjoyed getting to race at Memphis uh, until it's uh, met its last days. It's fine. I don't think I've ever told you this story, Jed, and and I'm not sure it's one of those tales that gets twisted over the years, and I wasn't there, but I, I think you could associate with this. So Bama's another one of those places that to me, I think I only raced there once or twice, but it had that kind of historic feel to it. Just it, it, it oozed history, maybe on a different level than a than a a Byron or a Bowling Green, but like you knew that some of the origins of big dollar bracket racing kind of came from that area and that facility. Mm-hmm. So I remember growing up, there was a, a, a handful of racers from, from Texas that ventured, I'm 99% sure it was to Bama in probably late eighties, early nineties for maybe like a, a, a 10 grander, you know, a big, big deal at that time. And my good friend, Tomcat Carroll, came back and, and would tell this story, Jed. And I don't know who owned the track then. I don't know who put on the race. It may have been George Howard. You may have been the track manager for all I know, Jed. But they, they didn't have a good crowd for this $10,000 race. And the way that Tom Carroll told the story is that the track manager, the track owner, whoever it was, called a driver's meeting. And he's, he, you just got to hear Tom tell the story, right? Because he's like, man, they do things a little different out there in Alabama. He says, this old boy, he called a, he called a driver's meeting, got everybody up there and he says, all right, guys, I'm going to shoot you straight. I ain't got enough cars. I ain't got the money. I ain't got 10 grand. So the way I see it, y'all got two options. Y'all can beat the hell out of me and race for what I got. Or y'all can let me walk back to the tower, race for what I got. But that's all I got. That was in the mid nineties. Okay. You remember this? I remember the, the race. I do not remember who had the driver's meeting, uh, but I knew the track owner well, but, uh, I don't know who was, who was the promoter of that race, be honest with you, but I do remember the race and I remember the situation. So it's not a complete wives tale. Like there may have been some embellishment, but the root of the story is, is factual. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's directionally correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> for me, the, the, the track that I'm glad that I got to race at before it closed the gates for good is, a, is an easy one for me. It's, it's the track that I would still call home. It's the track that, track that I grew up at, Texas Raceway, Kennedale, Texas. Got tons of phenomenal memories from that place. And I, I'm, I don't know that I mentioned this on the show, and I'll leave names out of it because I don't think the racer in question was supposed to be on the grounds. But a, a mutual friend of ours, Big Jed, spent some time at what was Texas Raceway recently and actually sent me video of riding around on like a razor through the pits, down the racetrack, back through the pits. And it was just devastating to watch because it's all still there. Like you see all of the stuff that you grew up with. The bleachers are there. The buildings are there. The tower is there. And it's all just beat to nothing. The scoreboards are still up with still the sponsor signs on them, Jed. They didn't race there in a decade. But it's all overgrown, grass is eight feet tall, holes kicked in the door of the tower, like there's just nothing left of what you knew, but there's enough there to realize like it's all still there and it's just been run down to nothing. So it was depressing. 
Yeah, those things are hard to see, especially when they hold a near and dear place in your heart. And Bama Dragway is now a, a, a scrapyard. <laughs> so it will not only is it not a drag strip anymore, it will never be a drag strip again. So I, I get it completely. Jed, complete this sentence. I have never raced at. What's the what's the track or tracks that we would be surprised to hear that you've never been to? Well, I've never raced at a track in the state of Texas. Um you know, as, as many good events as there's been there and I guess some opportunities and I just, it never has worked out. So never raced in the state of Texas, which I find a little odd. Seemed like I would have made my way out there at some point. I've never raced at Bradenton. I uh, feel like everybody in the world has raced yeah. at Bradenton. Um, never been there, never raced there. In your defense, I don't care where you live. Bradenton's on the other side of the earth. Yes, it very difficult to get to was part of the reason that I've never raced there. I do have a standing invitation from my main man, uh, John Siegel, that uh, anytime they got something I want to go to, that he'll put me in a wheelie wagon, but I'm not sure I want to uh, do that to myself. Um, might you not can't turn that down, Big Jed. I, I'm I'll not, get the plane ticket. You got to I, I don't know if I want enough underwear to drive the wheelie wagon. So we, we just have to see how that works out. But that's not, that's not the concern with driving the wheelie wagon. In my experience, both getting to take the wheel of that thing and, and watching it for years. That's not the concern with the wheelie wagon. The concern is that you fail to perform in the wheelie wagon because everyone knows it is not the car. Yes. I think privately that's holding me back as well, that I, I'm not sure I can live to the standard, live up to the standard that has been set for the wheelie wagon guest appearances. And uh, that's probably keeping me from doing it as well. But at some point, I'm going to, I'm going to go down there and do that. And then, um, a legendary facility in my part of the country, not super close, about six hours from here that never, I've never been to that I would really like to go to is Darlington, uh, especially now, uh, our, our buddy, Jeff Miles is taking that facility over and, and going to, to be the owner of it, um, and, and operate it as well. So, you know, I know that there's going to be some quality racing there. So I would like to some point make my, make my way to Darlington and get to, get to do some racing there. Like you, I had, uh, for the longest time, I'd never been to Darlington. I, I made my first and to date only trip to that facility, maybe five years ago for one of the SFG races. But yeah, another, that's another place that, that kind of oozes history too, and has a really cool atmosphere to it. Um, so that's some of the, oh, okay. For me, the, you said you'd never raced in the state of Texas. I guess this isn't that no. surprising because there's not a, a ton to, of racetracks to choose from, but just given geographic location, like think of states that border Illinois, where I currently live, I've never raced in the state of Wisconsin. So that's a surprise to many. And it seems like the one track that comes up every time somebody says like, oh, you, you know, we went down here and I say, you know, I've never been there. And I get the oddest looks is Orlando. Uh, you'd mentioned Bradenton in Florida. I've spent a lot of time at Bradenton. But Orlando, like they were part of the winter series, but that was kind of back before my time. Um, they've typically had an NHRA division race, but for whatever reason, I never made it down there. Um, and beyond that, there just wasn't much reason to go. Um, so that Orlando is one that uh, I think most people would have, would expect that I've hit in my travels and I have not. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that would seem to me to be a place that, that you would have on your list for, you know, just having raced quite a bit in Florida and winter series stuff and maybe something coincides with that but I don't know that's uh, that does seem a little odd to me that you haven't raced at Orlando along those lines 
bucket list if you could pick out a handful of tracks that you haven't been to that you really want to say that you raced at at some point before you hang up the helmet what's on that list definitely norwalk um that's uh that's a, obviously a legendary facility that uh you know i i don't i don't know if i've ever heard anybody say a bad word about the place it just seems like a a destination type place and and anywhere you can get a pound of ice cream for a dollar. I mean, my goodness, whether it's a racetrack or not, that's where I want to be. So that's uh, definitely one. I want to attend the night fire event yeah. at Firebird. I want to, I want to go see the funny cars and the bracket cars and get to race and maybe even get on the microphone and call a few laps at Firebird. That to me would just be an incredible experience. Uh, and, and get to add Idaho to the list. So definitely want to want to do that. And then uh, New Media Dragway. I'm a big fan of the Dominos. Uh, my understanding is that's in the rolling hills of Pennsylvania and a beautiful part of that state. Uh, it's a fun racetrack. Um, they pay good money. They keep it clean. The concessions are good. And to hear Big Bob on the mic. Uh, getting after folks uh, would would be an awesome time and I'd love to sit up there with him as well so those three for me are definitely bucket list facilities the media is a good one I didn't have on my list and to your point like it looks like a gorgeous picturesque area I'd like to check it out as well Boise was on my list for the exact same event like one day before I die I will I will be at the Nightfire Nationals somehow or another like I yeah I read about that. I've read about that race for 30 years and always thought, man, that that's it. You know, so it's got the history. The facility looks awesome. Um, while I've never raced there, I've had a few conversations with the new family and they are top of the line in our sport. Like everything about that place, it makes me want to go always has. Um, so for all of my travels, I have not, I've not ventured to the Northwest at all. So Boise, Woodburn, Sonoma, Seattle, like they're all places that I'd like to see at some point, probably most of all Denver. I mentioned that I've never been to Denver. I'll be honest, I had, I had opportunities to go at, at, at earlier points in my career and it always kind of intimidated me. It's huge altitude and I feel like you got to change everything to go there. And now I'm to the point that that's kind of intriguing and I don't really care. Like, I think it just, it looks like an incredible facility and a cool atmosphere. Like I want to go see what that's all about. Um, but yeah, spent no time really in the Northwest and very limited time in the Northeast. So my other bucket list tracks come up in that area as well. Uh, I've never been to MIR in Maryland, which is another one that people kind of, I get, I get odd looks for, um, just mm. it's always been a long, long way from wherever I lived and it, and it looks like a really cool place. I've driven by it, uh, but never raced there. And then, uh, Epping, New Hampshire, which I don't think you can get there from where I live, but that's one that's on the bucket list. I think it'd be really cool to go compete in that area. Yeah, that's a awesome list. Definitely would love to see Denver. Um, you know, our, our good friend, Kyle Seipel, when he was still with us, uh, you know, I, it put me a little closer to action at Sonoma. So I got to see some pictures I might not have otherwise been exposed to. That looks like an amazing facility and one that, that I would really enjoy attending an event at. So uh, great list there. And uh, definitely some that are bucket list for me too. You mentioned Woodburn. Uh, I've actually got to see Woodburn. I've mentioned it here on the show before. Yep. I was in Oregon on business and we drove up into to uh, Washington and, and found Woodburn Dragway and 
Kurt Johnson was there testing at the time. It was in July, so it was on the, the Western Swing, and they were just parked in the staging lanes testing. We rolled up in the rental car, me and a guy from work, and, and they looked at us like we were, you know, uh, uh, Russian spies or something like we were sent there to check out what they were doing. We had no idea they were there till we got there. So, but really cool, nostalgic looking facility. I, I would, I would love to attend an event there as well. Yeah. So we've got, we've got two categories left on our list and they're the ultimate in subjectivity, right? It is our, it is our favorite facilities and our personal least favorite facilities. I feel the need to, to end the podcast with positive vibe was only. So let's do, let's go least favorite first. What track have you been to that if you never went back, it would not hurt your feelings? Uh, definitely Rockingham is on my list. Um, that is a facility that I did not enjoy. The only time that I've ever been, um, that there's quite a bit of sand around it and I just didn't enjoy it. I don't like the sand. Um, I certainly don't like it on the beach and I really am not a fan of it at the drag strip. So, uh, that for me just was a turnoff. It rained, the pits had low spots in them. I mean, it was knee deep in some areas, just bad experience. I'm sure it's a better facility and a better place to race than that. Than I remember, but that one, I didn't enjoy, uh, Memphis, as I mentioned earlier, uh, not necessarily for the facility, but the ride to get there and how rough it is and how I've got to bow down on my stripe, on my uh, straps in the car and the scooter and everything else a little extra because it's just so freaking rough. And then you drive through a, a, a part of the city of Memphis that just, you know, people walking in the streets and just rough all around it. I don't like the ride to Memphis. And then I certainly don't like the, the uh, people coming into the facility and taking racer stuff. And uh, that's happened there way too much. Just a rough place. I just, the, the facility, the racing surface itself, no big deal. I'm a fan of that. It's a good place to race. And I like the, the whole layout of the place, but I just don't go there or didn't go there as an option many times just because of getting there being such a challenge and then um you know as bad as i hate to say this because i don't i definitely don't want to hurt anyone's feelings but uh right up the road it's an hour up the road from me but alabama international dragway still um just never really liked going there I, it, the place just was never very kind to me um even when i felt like i was the best i could possibly be and and could compete with anybody I just went there and just never really had any success. And it was largely due to people like Doyle Kay and Chris Wiley and Brooke Stevens, and the talented racers they had. I, don't, I didn't like racing good racers. That's why I thought I was good because I didn't race great racers. But, uh, but that place was just hard on me. I don't know. I just never really enjoyed it. So that, that, was, that makes my least favorite list. So I'm actually fond of, of – Alabama International. I, I think I've been there maybe three times, but I believe it, it rained us out at two. And I'm, I'm no way. I was going to say I'm undefeated at the facility. I think I won one class and then runnered up to Jackie Rogers and the other. And I counted that as a win because I love seeing Jackie win. So I have really fond memories of Alabama International. Um, the, what, it's funny out of 
out of the 150 plus combined racetracks that we've been to, we both had the same one first and our least favorite. I'm also not a fan of Rockingham. Like just, <laughs> I can't, I can't envision a scenario where I would ever go back at this point. So I, I feel fairly comfortable saying like, I don't like Rockingham <laughs> and I don't care who hears it. Um, the, as we talked about before, A, you can't get there, right? It's, it's not an easy drive. Every time that I have been to Rockingham, I've been parked in a briar patch. Like you can't walk in and out of the pit area without sand spurs all over your shoelaces. So that's not a good thing. It holds water. The It's funny how you, you are, it's very subjective and our impressions of a racetrack, I think are largely based upon our success at said racetrack. Because one of the reasons I said I liked Atlanta so much was that it was a skating rink and I felt like it played to my advantage. I don't like Rockingham because when I used to go, it was always a skating rink and I felt like I was going to crash. Yes. <laughs> um, so there was just a lot of things working against Rockingham. I don't care to ever go back. Um, that probably takes the cake. I used to say similar things about um, Thunder Valley Dragway, Noble, Oklahoma, but the last couple of times I've been there, I did good. So now I kind of like Noble. Uh, I will say one thing about Noble. I would say, I would guess I've probably been there a dozen times in my life. And I, and I don't think this is hyperbole. I'm pretty sure this is accurate. I have been pulled from my pit area more often than I've driven out. So that makes it hard to have a good time. Um, yeah. Two others that make my list as far as least favorite, honorable mention anyway, the Texas Motorplex, which is, as I said before, an amazing facility, except for where we have to park. And I'm a bit biased, jaded, whatever you want to say, because growing up where I grew up, there was there was very few racers that went back and forth. You were either a Kennedale racer or you were a motorplex racer. And I was a Kennedale racer. And it was like very much from our perspective, it was a dividing line. Like the the motorplex was the haves and Kennedale was the have nots, right? The motorplex was I got all of my NHRA license and all my stuff will pass tech and I'm high and tight. And Kennedale was the track where you big tires in the back pay at the gate, right? It was complete different atmosphere. We always felt like the motorplex racers looked down their noses at us. We probably had a superiority complex in our own way, but there just wasn't much mixture. Like if you were a motorplex racer, you despised Kennedale. And if you were a Kennedale racer, you hated the motorplex. And I think that stuck with me all my life. And I bet I've been to the motorplex 50 times, probably more than that. I've won like two or three, like the place always beats me up. So yeah, just not one of my favorites. And then Columbus, Ohio, for all the same reasons. Hadn't been there near as much, have had zero success, have been stuck in the mud, have had miserable experiences there. I, I can't say enough now, like you hear a lot of positives about the, the ownership and the management in place now. Um, I just, I can't say anything good about the facility. I don't like it. They've done a lot with it. It's not one of my favorites, sorry. Now, I get it. That's uh, it's understandable. And I don't, hopefully nobody takes offense to that. But, you know, we all have our favorites and least favorites. And that's it. <laughs> that's on the list. Speaking of favorites, Luke, this is a, a positive note that we want to end the show on. We get to talk about our favorite places to race. So Positive vibes only. Yeah, let's hear some. All right. So overall, I've got two that, that probably stand out. I've got a lot of racetracks that I love and have been to very few that I dislike, right? Um, but if I had to select, pick out two from the crowd, it's Beach Bend Raceway Park. It's always been, since the first time I pulled in there, you talked about how picturesque it is, like just the atmosphere and the vibe. 
I love that place. And I love the fact that now it's one of my homish tracks. We're about three, three and a half hours from Bowling Green. Love going down there. Uh, and Norwalk or uh, Summit Motorsports Park, as it's called now. Haven't spent near as much time at Norwalk, but you can't go there and not be impressed. Like that place checks every box. The I think what ingratiates most of us and certainly me to a facility is not so much the facility itself, but the ownership, the staff, the management, the program, the customer service, and all of that in, in all of those areas, Norwalk is unparalleled. And then on top of that, it's an amazing facility. And I think the, the common trait between those two tracks, between Bowling Green and, and Norwalk, are that they are similar really to, to the track that I grew up at, at, at Texas Raceway in Kennedale, in that they are older facilities that have been there forever, that have a ton of history, but have been kept up really well, improved over time, and still, you know, kind of have, I wouldn't call either of them state-of-the-art facilities, but they have all of the amenities of the current day state-of-the-art facilities, but they still have that old track hometown feel. And I think that's what draws me to them more than anything. Yeah, makes complete sense there. Um, you know, you, you had your overall favorite and kind of give your reason why. And mine's what a lot of people will know as Montgomery, but it's uh, Capital City Motorsports Park now. I don't know. I, I really have enjoyed that place over the years and, and raced there for about 20 years or so now. And um, had quite a bit of success. So I just, I don't know, I really just feel comfortable there. And uh, I like the current ownership a lot. I like the previous ownership a lot. Seemed like it's always run by somebody that, that I'm somewhat close to. So all in all, that's just a, just a favorite for me. And the fact that I get to go there and race the, the OG million again this year's got a, got a special place in my heart. And Certainly, we'll we'll get to do some uh, some announcing at that event as well. Kind of partially come out of retirement. So, love Capital City Motorsports Park. Um, the small track feel for me that that just feels like home is Holiday Raceway. Uh, that is about halfway between Birmingham and Tuscaloosa. Huge fan of uh of holiday raceway and and the ownership group there and just the people that work there. I don't know, for a long time, that place seemed like it was kind of a Homer type place and I didn't fit in and they didn't want me there way back when, but all that has uh, gone by the wayside these days and they're a welcoming place that, that wants everybody there. So really, really enjoy that small track feel there at Holiday Raceway Loop. Holiday was the place that they wouldn't let you park in the pits the first time you went, right? That is the, the place. Yes. They, they, <laughs> no, they said I couldn't one. race because I couldn't park in the pits. That's right. You, not yeah. only can you not park in the pits, yeah. you can't race you can't, because you can't park in the pits. I drove the car down there. <laughs> like, well, I'll just park in the parking lot. Now just race from there. Well, you can't race from the parking lot. You can't do that. <laughs> sure I can. Watch this. <laughs> Holiday's a good one. I uh, That's one of my favorite facilities as well. For, I, I'd kind of forgotten about it when we were listing tracks. That's, a, that's in my experience, is always a really fun place to race along those lines that small track feel that just I don't know it just screams home to me is the one I said was impossible to get to but it is one of my favorite tracks it's Buffalo Valley uh that's called Middle Tennessee Dragway really cool place it's actually it is I-57 like the complete layout everything 
the size, everything very, very similar to old I-57, but it's like on the side of a hill. Other than that, it's, it's pretty much all the same, right? <laughs> you nailed it. And, but it is a cool place. Yeah, so I dig the vibe of that. And and uh, Mr. Huddleston, that I believe still owns it and had always run it when I was going there, was just always super accommodating. I, I always thought they had a, a great, fun program. Um, I mentioned Beach Bend and, and Norwalk and why I think I'm, I kind of gravitate to the, toward those facilities. Uh, an honorable mention there kind of cut from the same cloth but for whatever reason, don't stack up quite as, as, as high on my list, but tracks that I love would be Kill Care in Ohio. I actually went there for the first time last year, and it's very much that same feel. Older track, lots of history, but it's been really been kept up over time and really fun place to race. And then Mid-Michigan Motorplex up in Stanton, Michigan, very much the same vibes. They love going up there, love racing with the Ledford family. So that's a lot of fun as well. Um, I got a lot of favorite racetracks, Jed. Personal bias would be, I've, I've been, I guess, fortunate, but I have loved racing at my home track. And as I mentioned before, having lived in, in three pretty diverse locations, I've had three home tracks, but they were all awesome, at least at the time that I was there. Obviously that was Texas Raceway in Kennedale when I was growing up. That was Sand Mountain Dragway uh, in Section, Alabama um, when uh, in, my, in my 20s, and now it's I-57. Um, Sand Mountain actually could have could have made the list for unique racetracks too, because I don't I know you've raced there, Jed. Have you ever been down a racing surface that was as narrow as Sand Mountain Dragway? Yes, I have, and it actually okay. made made my list for uh, facilities where I've had uh, probably the most success, just in a, a you know times gone versus wins produced. Um, but Sand Mountain is a <laughs> definitely a narrow place. Very cool racetrack though, but. Uh, for me, where I've had some success over the years, I hadn't been there in quite some time, uh, but Fulton Dragway in Fulton, Mississippi, um, that's the place where my dad ran over the track dog coming that's out right. of burnout. And, um, you know, it's very short burnout area. So uh, the track dog knew that no fool was going to be burning out while cars are just now taking off because they don't have room. So he knew he had time, but he didn't have time for Bobby Joe Pennington because nobody, as I've said many times on the show, nobody tells Bobby Joe Pennington when you can burn out he does it <laughs> when he by God wants to do it and that got the track dog run over a uh, long time ago but I've always said if you're if all four tires are touching asphalt at Fulton Dragway you're in the groove because uh, that's all it was it was just a groove if you get out of the groove you were kicking up you were kicking up some dust and some grass <laughs> i think you're right it, it, it and same deal i haven't been to either facility in, in over a decade um fulton is probably every bit as narrow perhaps narrower than sand mountain but i think that the perception is different because if i'm not mistaken if you if you get out of the groove at fulton you're off the pavement but i think you're in grass Whereas yes. Sand Mountain, the, 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 <laughs> yes. the paved area, which is a two-lane road, is flanked by tight guardrails. Like, yes. there's nowhere to go, right? That so. is a great point. The perception is that it's narrower because you have less room for error. A lot of paint on the guard walls at, uh, at Sand Mountain Dragway. So, yeah, I think you're, you're 100% correct there. Um, we talked about... about small tracks that that have just endeared themselves to us i th i think it's easier to take the mega tracks for for granted i guess i i know where you're going to go here but what's the mega track that stands out to you as some place you just love to go 
Yeah, obviously this place keeps making my list, but you know, I, I needed to be true to myself and not make up some bull crap and try to keep from saying the same old track over and over. And reality is if, if I'm being as honest as I can be, mega track for me is Bristol. I mean, that, that place is just unbelievable. I, I, I have been there quite a few times and, and, you know, obviously putting on races there for what's about to be my 16th year in Bristol. I don't know, just got a special place in my heart and for mega tracks to me that nothing beats that facility from a, from a hospitality standpoint, you know, that the people are nice there to us. It's beautiful surroundings. You've got a legendary NASCAR facility on the same grounds. Um, it's, it's a place where you can get up high at the facility itself and take pictures, overhead pictures above from up on the tower, up on the mountain. It's just, I don't know, the place just offers a ton to me. And, and that mega track feel is still there, even though it's a, you know, pl a place close to me that I, I probably take for granted. It's still, you know, I, I still remind myself every year, you know, the pros come here and and go down this track and have for decades so just a cool place it is it is a cool place i don't as i mentioned before like i've just never been super fired up about the mega facilities i think it comes back to that background of being a kennedale racer and 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 not wanting anything to do with the, the motorplex which was you know the state-of-the-art facility back at that time so I don't, I don't know that any of them really stand out to me except for just having success, right? Like I told you how I feel like Vegas is super picturesque, but I think a lot of the positive vibes that I have from that place are just due to my success there over the years. Had a lot of good luck in Vegas, a lot of good memories. Um, so that sticks out to me. And then Joliet Route 66 Raceway up near Chicago for very much the same ways reason. And I'll tell you right now that if I had not had success at Joliet, it might be on the least favorite list. Like there is not really much cool about that place other than it is an amazing facility. You pretty much get stuck every time that you go. If you have to park in the grass, you park underneath power lines that are just buzzing like crazy. I'm pretty sure if you spent more than a day or two there, you're going to get cancer at some point in your life. You could trace it back to that, I think. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's super windy <laughs> to the point that it's uncomfortable. The staff is anything but friendly. Like there's not a lot of cool things about Joliet, but I have done really well there over the years and i get fired up at every opportunity to go so i like joliet yeah that's a place that uh, that i've always heard wonderful things about and uh, the, the few folks i know that have been there talk about the beauty of the place and and just the feel of it in general so good choice awesome it's stuff cool it's, it's, it's in the windy city and just one of the unique like the wind is always blowing at joliet it's just a matter of what direction it's always blowing hard but the cool thing about Joliet is there is, always has been, a windsock that is located just past the bleachers on what would be the left or the spectator side of the racetrack that you literally not only can but should dial off of. And I specifically remember doing a burnout in Super Comp there. I don't know if it was the national or the divisional event backing up from my burnout and watching that windsock completely change direction 180 degrees and rolling like two tenths out of the timer after I backed up to basically speed my car up a tenth to compensate for it. And you just don't get that anywhere. 
that is that is pretty odd and probably a little uncomfortable at that but i loved it is it good because it was blowing it went from a tailwind to a headwind i'm like there ain't no way this dude's going under just go fast <laughs> yeah it's a driver's race there for sure <laughs> good stuff luke i hope the listeners enjoyed that uh you know you're 105 tracks strong at least and probably more and growing and, yeah. yeah and uh, my list had 49 so a lot of experience going to racetracks between the two of us. Really cool stuff and a great topic for this week's show. But that pretty much wraps us up. So if you listen this long, we appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed the stories and, and our opinions of facilities. And this is your opportunity to go to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Give us your list. Give us your top five favorite racetracks, your top five least favorite. Talk about things that we talked about on our list and why we were wrong, why we were right, what have you. But it's a good opportunity to just have some chatter with a, with a non-controversial subject just where you can share your opinion right there on the Facebook page. So go check that out and tell us what you're thinking about this show or any other show for that matter. And give us your list because we are, we're, as Luke has said many times, we're a list society these days. And this is an opportunity for you to give us a list. Tell us your number. Yes. Tell us your number. That's a great, <laughs> great point, Luke. You know, we do sometimes talk about adult film stars and strip teaser. Uh, so we want your number of racetracks just to make sure no one's getting confused here. Your number of racetracks uh, competed at. So give us your number because that's interesting stuff as well. Uh, Luke, are there any shouts for a show like this? I don't I mean, we didn't talk about specific people very much, but. Of course there are shouts for a, yes. a show like this, Big Jed. Shouts yes. too. The horse troughs near US 43. Shouts to the Airstream at Pickwick. <laughs> Shouts to Prescott, not to be confused with Prescott. Shouts to corn and the horsepower that it produces. Shouts to Glencoe, Alabama. And shouts to the Donkey Stomp. Man, man, some stuff I talked about made the shout list big time. That's good stuff. That, and that was a heck of a list of shouts. Luke. Very well done. All right, guys. Uh, as I said, go to the Facebook page. Talk to us. If you like to tweet, Luke and I are on the Twitter. Um, I got busted up a little bit for, for some stuff from last week, but really doesn't matter. Bust me up, bust Luke up, or just chat with us, whatever. We want to hear from you on Twitter as well. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. Whoa, 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 whoa. What did I miss? I my I got to get a new phone. So I, I somehow had to reboot everything. I lost the Twitter app. And apparently I don't have the proper operating system to reload oh. the Twitter app. Holy so cow. I have been, I have gone Twitter silent. What what I missed? Oh. Well, it wasn't a major deal, but, uh, but I got busted up a little bit on, uh, on the Twitter for, um, what was called a snub of uh, Taylor Bowling and um, and the the working man ten grands and you know it definitely wasn't a snub but it was an oversight so uh, so I messed up there and uh, deserved the, uh, the the call out I'm trying to look real quick and see exactly who it was that uh, that called me out and it was uh, Troy it was uh, Ken Lee Troy. Kenley Troy. I mean, somebody with, with three first names going to call me out. I don't know about that. Troy. You might have to question the validity of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Troy, I mean, if anybody deserves a call out, it's a guy with three first names, but 
nonetheless, I deserved it. And uh, that was that was awful on my part because Taylor's a buddy of mine and I really uh, I really am enjoying watching his early season success. But nonetheless, uh, like I said, Luke's at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X and an easy target for you. Bust me up, whatever you want to do, but reach out to us and uh, let us know what you're thinking or what we should have done better or whatever. That pretty much wraps us up for this week. Hope you enjoyed this show. It was a lot less racing and just a lot more fun, but uh, we got some racing coming up. A lot of good stuff happening that we'll be talking about soon, and we can't wait to talk to you about more sportsman drag racing real soon. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.